Let's open up our Bibles today to Deuteronomy chapter 13. And we'll see how far we go. We might just uh, cover one chapter. And this whole chapter basically is about um, the fight that we have as uh, followers of God uh, to not be turned away from our commitment to the Lord. Uh, we're going to see in verses 1 through 5 that really it's a, a call to be careful of those prophets and those dreamers, those religious people that try to turn you away uh, through emotionalism. We're going to see in verses 6 through 11 that we need to be careful that sometimes our friends and family members, people that are close to us, will try to turn us away from the Lord. And then we're going to see in verses 12 through 18 that it can be a whole society, it can be a whole city that we need to deal with and ultimately destroy so that you and I would stay faithful to Jesus Christ. You know, uh, it's a blessing to see you guys here today. It really is, you know, because uh, not everybody makes it this far. You know, God's done a work in your life. God saved you. God has died for you. And here you are. And some of us, you know, we're kind of halfway through our journey or or maybe we're a little farther along. I don't know really where we're at. Maybe some of you here are just starting off. You know, but I don't take that lightly. You know, I thank God that you're here because not everybody's here, man. Uh, some people, and as you go through life and you're going to see as a Christian, man, they, they, they don't walk anymore with the Lord. They, they turn away. As a matter of fact, James chapter 5, it says in the last two verses that if anyone among you wanders from the truth, you know, and so you can wander from the truth. And so I'm so thankful that you're here, but I want to pray that you would continue to walk with the Lord. And one day when we're in heaven, I want, of course, I know that you want, we want, God wants you to be there. And so be careful, man, because it's a battle, like I was telling my son today, against the flesh, the world, and the devil. And they will fight you tooth and nail to keep you from your commitment to Jesus Christ. And that's why we need to fight, you guys. That's why we need to stay strong. Be careful. We see here in verses 1 through 5, first of all, the prophet and the dreamer. Because look what it says. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, hey, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. Here we see Moses says, don't let them mesmerize you with their miracles. You've got to test the message. He says, please remember that signs and wonders alone do not validate the words that those individuals speak. That miracles don't make the dream a declaration from God. That whenever we hear the message, we must test it according to the revealed truth. We need to test it according to Scripture. And just because someone does a miracle and they might dazzle you with their eyes, and who knows, man, there's a lot of crazy things going on there, you still must test the message. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test all things. Hold fast to what is good. 
The Bible says in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I mean, you hear some of these guys on television, or you hear them sometimes on the radio, or maybe you read the book, or whatever the case may be, and, you know, maybe they're good talkers. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're on TV or on the radio, or it's a book that you're reading, or, or whatever it is. It doesn't matter how pretty they are. What you've got to do is you've got to test the message according to the Scriptures. You know, and, you know, there's a lot of miracles, but that doesn't mean what they're saying is true. Remember, you guys, Satan is able to produce lying wonders. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says that the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. I mean, the devil is going to do things to dazzle the people. It doesn't mean it's the Lord just because it's a miracle. Miracles don't mean a message is from God. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 24, that false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And so here, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 13, he just, man, he just wants the people to stay on track. You know, and, you know, there's a lot of churches where there's a lot of emotionalism. And they may come and they may slay you in the spirit. That's what they say or whatever. It can be healings. It could be a number of things. But that doesn't mean it's the Lord. You've got to test the message. We need to be so careful not to be mesmerized by miracles, not to be deceived by dreams. You know, some people think that because they have a dream and because it has something to do with their life or your life that it's from the Lord. No, maybe that was just something that was in your heart. We don't go by dreams. God can use dreams, but we must test even the dreams that we have. Watch, if you go over to Jeremiah chapter 23, maybe it was a dream that was in your heart, but it wasn't a dream that was in the Lord's heart. And Jeremiah chapter 23, it's all about this topic of false prophets. But look what he says in verse 26. He says, How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own hearts, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forget my name for a bail. He says, the prophet who has a dream, cool, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophet, says the Lord, who steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophet, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, he says. Behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their recklessness. Yet I did not send them or command them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, says the Lord. You see, right here it's interesting. God compares dreams to the word of God. And he says one is like wheat and the other is like the chaff. 
Now, if you have a dream, maybe it is of the Lord, or maybe you had too many burritos. I don't know, man. You've got to be really careful. But sometimes someone will come up when they say, oh, I had a dream about you, and, you know, they'll tell you whatever it is. And, you know, I mean, to me, we've got the Bible. That's the word that we hold on to. Be so careful that people don't come and try to sweep you away with their emotionalism or whatever, the miracles, their signs, their wonders, their dreams. The Bible says, my word is like a hammer. Stick to the word of God. Why? Because, man, we just don't want you to get off track. We just want the best for you. We want you to stay in love with the Lord. And I know how the devil operates. If he can't, you know, devour you as a roaring lion, he will deceive you as a slimy serpent. And that's why you got to be so careful, you guys. That's why back in Deuteronomy chapter 13, Moses says, man, it's not about the signs and wonders and dreams of these guys. He says, you got to test the message. And not only do you have to test the message, you've got to know this, that the Lord is testing you. That's what he says there in verse 3. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You know, I mean, do you love the Lord that way? You see, God will test you to see whether or not you're faithful to him. Our love will be tested. And I just need to love him more. And as we go through life, we're going to see the way that it works. You know, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, you'll notice the Lord will test his people. And when he tests us, it does two things. Number one, it reveals where we're at. And number two, it refines where we're at. Because look what it says in Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. It says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart. And so you go through life and whatever it is, it comes your way and it tests you. It reveals who you really are, what you're really made of. We're known not by our actions, but by our reactions, right? And so he says right here, the Lord tested them, number one, to know what was in their heart. But then if you go over in verse 16 of the same chapter, it says that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. And so whenever you read in the Bible about the testing of God, what it does is, number one, it reveals, and number two, it refines, it tests you. It reveals the impurities, and they kind of rise to the surface. Now it's your opportunity to skim them off so that God can do a transforming work in our life. You see, trials will test us. Temptations will test us, huh? Can you think of anyone in the Bible who was tested? I'm sure you can, huh? There is a few people, man. You know, one of the scary verses is over in Second Chronicles 32, 31. It's this guy named Hezekiah. And the Bible says this, However, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. You know, there's those times in our life, man, where it seems like the Lord is right there and he's giving you the strength and it's definitely him and he's carrying you through. But man, maybe there's those times in our life and I don't know exactly how it works, but it's kind of like the Lord will kind of like, you know, let you choose in in one sense. He kind of withdraws in, in one sense to test you, to see whether or not you're real, 
what is really in your heart? What am I really made of? It's good to know so I can grow, right? We know God tested Hezekiah. We know God tested Abraham. Over in Genesis 22, it says in verse 1 that it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and he said, here I am. And then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Imagine that, that God would ask Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. We know that in Isaac, all his dreams were there. In Isaac was the first time we have the word love in the Bible. I mean, he loved him. And God says, I'm going to test him. I'm going to see if he's willing to follow through on my command to offer up his son, proving to you know himself and to me and to the world that I truly am number one in his life. And God will test us, you guys. He really will. Now, that's what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 13, that we need to test the message, make sure it's biblical, because God is testing us to make sure that we really do love Him. You know, Christianity is not that complicated. You love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and you love your neighbors as yourself. And God will test that love, man. He really will. You know, when you look at the scriptures, we'll find out later even when we look at this, that God is going to find out whether or not he really is number one. We know that those tests reveal where we're at. Those tests refine where we're at. In Job chapter 23, verse 10, the Bible says, But he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Some of you are being tested. How many of you here liked tests when you went to school? Just out of curiosity. (laughs) I was talking to my son. I was tripping out. He likes tests. And some people, I guess, do. Most people don't. But we're going to be tested, you guys. To reveal who we are. To show us who we are. And to refine who we are. To whether, you know, find out whether or not the Lord really is number one in our life. Deuteronomy 13.3, we read it there. It says, the Lord your God is testing you. If a prophet or a dreamer tries to turn you away from the Lord, God says this, I I want you to do a couple of things. First of all, notice there in verse 3, in the beginning, he says, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. First of all, don't listen. Continue to love the Lord. Walk after the Lord. Fear Him. Keep His commandments. Obey His voice. Serve and hold fast to Him, the Bible says. That's the first thing I want you to do is stay on track. Stay in love with God. But the second thing I want you to do, he says right there in verse 5, is put Him to death. I kind of like that. Look what it says. It says, But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall put away the evil from your midst. 
God says if someone tries to turn you away from your commitment to him, kill him. That's what the Lord told the children of Israel. You know, and you know, we don't do that nowadays. You know, we here in America we're a democracy, but remember Israel was a theocracy, right? And we see that meant a lot. As a theocracy, Israel was a nation whose leader was the Lord Himself. They were governed directly by God. Therefore, anyone who attempted to turn any one of the Israelites from God was to die, and it was to be a death by stoning. He says right there at the end of the verse to put away the evil from your midst. Now, there's a principle there. We may not kill that individual who tries to turn us away from the Lord, but sometimes we have to make decisions to put away the evil that tries to, in their temptations, turn us away from our passion for Jesus Christ. You guys, don't get caught up in this world. Don't get distracted. Don't get sidetracked. There is a calling on your life. Every single one of us here, there's something, there's a mission that God wants us to be engaged in wholeheartedly and passionately. And if anything gets in the way, destroy it. Crucify it. Kill it. That's what he says. Put away the evil from your midst. Now again, nowadays we don't kill the non-believer. We don't put the deceiver to death. We're not under a theocracy as of this point. And God does give us a lot of grace. But still, we need to take ever so seriously the seducer of the saints. Especially those people who claim to be prophets and they come into the church to turn people away from the Lord. Especially them. Remember what Paul the Apostle said in Galatians, if you want to turn there real quick. Galatians chapter 1. What had happened was the Judaizers were coming into the church and they were preaching another gospel. It was a different gospel. It was salvation by works. And they said, you know, you need to be circumcised, not just believing in Jesus, but you need to add to your faith works. And let me tell you something. If anyone tells you that you need to be, you know, do this to be saved, baptized or, you know, circumcised or whatever it is, that is a perversion of the gospel. If they say you have to go knock on doors in order to be saved or whatever it is, that's not something to mess around with. That's why Paul the Apostle here in Galatians chapter 1, look what he says in verse 6 to the Galatians. He says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from who? From him. You're turning away from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which really is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be a curse. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Paul says, let him be damned. Later on, he says, I wish they would castrate themselves. See, if people come and they try to turn you away from the Lord in any way, shape, and form, don't mess around. Don't be Mr. Nice Guy. Serious stuff is taking place. Jesus even told Peter, when Peter was getting in the way, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. 
Don't let anything come between you and your relationship with God. Don't be nice to those things. Don't be nice to those people. Protect your family. Protect your walk. Again, we don't kill them. (laughs) Don't go killing them, okay? But we do take this very, very seriously. And we need to warn you to beware. We need to warn you to be aware that some will try to turn you away. There's a movement in the church nowadays. It's called the Emerging Church. And you can go to pretty much any Christian bookstore and you can find their books there. But it's not the truth. It's a seduction. It's heresy. You know, Jesus said in Matthew seven fifteen, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. I think we have a picture right here. Isn't that ugly, man? That's ugly, huh? That's what they are. They are wolves in sheep's clothing, you guys. They look like a sheep. And they talk and they carry a Bible. You know, and they use Christian jargon and terminology. But Jesus said, inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. And that's why, you guys, you know, we have to say these things. We have to warn you. Acts chapter 20, verse 29, Paul says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. And it happens in the church. And that's why we need to be so careful. See, Moses here in Deuteronomy 13, he warns the people about the prophets and teaches the people of God how to deal with them, deal severely with them, you guys. He next warns the people about close friends and family that might attempt you to turn you away from the Lord as well. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom, ooh, even your wife, or your friend who is as your own soul, in other words, this is a very close friend, secretly entices you saying, Hey, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers, of the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. He says, You shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. And you shall stone him with stones until he dies, because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You know, every once in a while, the Lord reminds me what he did when I got saved. And it's good to remember that, you guys. You know, I'll never forget the day that I got saved, man. I'll never forget that day. I cannot deny the day that God came in and totally radically changed my life. For some of you here, maybe it was a day. For some of you here, maybe it was a season. But there was this amazing work that God has done in our life. He brought us out of Egypt. He redeemed us. And so now you've got people, you've got individuals, you've got things, you've got circumstances, situations that are trying to come between you and your Redeemer, the one that saved you. And Moses says, man, whatever you do, don't 
Don't let it happen. It doesn't matter if it's this great prophet or dreamer. It doesn't matter if it's your brother or sister or your spouse or your best friend. Let nothing come between you and your relationship with God. You know, and when you read this right here, it's really heavy. It doesn't matter who it was. If they tried to turn you away from the Lord, God says, don't consent. Don't pity them. Don't spare them. Don't even conceal the fact that they were deceiving you. He says, as a matter of fact, you throw the first stone. And then the rest of the congregation will follow your lead. You see, that's how serious our relationship with the Lord is. Now, some might look at this and they wonder, well, wait a minute, Manny. I remember reading in John chapter 8 how they brought this woman to Jesus. And, you know, Jesus said, hey, he's without sin. Let them cast the first stone. Well, we need to remember it was a different time. It was a different testament. It was a different setting and a different situation. In John chapter 8, the religious leaders set her up, right? They framed her. And also, when you look at John chapter 8, we know that her sin was not a religious deception, which is a totally different category. There's a few sins that God really despises. You know, those that you know, have that religious deception or those that divide the congregation. God takes that very seriously. You know, we mentioned earlier that this is a theocracy and that means that they were governed by God. Their leader was the Lord himself, not a democracy. And so nowadays we don't put people to death for this and like this, but you make sure you come away with the principle here and that is this, that we need to have the priority in all of our relationships to make sure that we really love the Lord more than anyone else. Do you love the Lord like that? Remember what Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. I mean, you read that and that's heavy, huh? In other words, there should be no rival thrones whatsoever, whoever it might be. And whenever there's a conflict between Christ and this close friend or family member, guess who wins? The Lord wins. As a matter of fact, his margin of victory should be so great over every area of the relationship that we read right here in Luke 14, 26, Jesus says they've got to hate their father and mother, wife and child brothers and sisters, you know? And that's pretty heavy. In other words, it's to be so much more that, you know, for example, we'll speak of an individual named Jenny and she doesn't really like them that much. But it's not that Jenny doesn't like them that much. It's just that Jenny loves the Lord that much more. She has no idols in her life. You know, speaking of an individual named Jenny, I'll kind of run with that, okay? She comes to the Lord. She gets saved. And this is what happens. She gets saved. And then her non-believing boyfriend becomes her ex-boyfriend. Why? Because she breaks up with him. And so he says to her, you hate me. And she says, no, I don't hate you. I just love God. And if God says we can't be together, we can't be together. Why? Because the relationship with God is far greater than your relationship with anyone else. And we as God's people must know when to unite and also when to divide. You know, oftentimes those divisions and those stands need to be made even within the relationships of those who are closest to us. 
Jesus said in Matthew 10, 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. And so your dad tells you, you become a Christian, right? And your dad tells you that you have to baptize your infant child. Why? Because he's a diehard Catholic. And so what do you do? Do you compromise for peace? God says, no, I didn't come for that kind of peace. I came for you to make a stand. And so what do you do? You say, sorry, Dad, the Bible does not teach infant baptism. And then your dad says, well, if you don't baptize my grandson, I will disown you. (laughs) And so what do you do? You make a stand. Why? Because you love God more. You know, I remember when I got saved, my Thea Mary, who I used to live with at one time, she told me, I, mijo, just don't leave the Virgin Mary. That's what she told me. (laughs) But I had to choose the truth over my Thea, right? And I told her, hey, you know, Thea Mary, no offense, but the Bible says there's one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. She didn't like me for a while. It's okay, right? Now we're friends again. It's kind of cool. God's done a work in her life. God's done a work in my life. All I'm saying is this, you guys. Don't let anyone come between you and your relationship with God. Don't compromise for the sake of peace. Make a stand. Love the Lord more than your spouse or your children or you know whoever it is. Your girlfriend, your boyfriend. Because God will test us. We know the nation of Israel was a theocracy. And back in the Old Testament, it didn't matter if they were prophets or dreamers, publicly deceiving, or even if they were close friends or family members, secretly deceiving. If they tried to turn you away from the Lord, they were to be executed. And all I'm saying is this, we don't go around executing them, man. But do you see how serious it is to God? He wants us to see that. If you go back to Deuteronomy 13, notice in verse 11, this would not just be punitive, it would also be preventative. Because he says in verse 11, So all Israel shall hear and fear, and not again do such wickedness as this among you. You see, in looking at this, we see that Some might say, oh, it's so severe, but in all reality, it's simply safe. If deceivers die, then deceivers decrease. That's the way it works, and it really does work. As a matter of fact, there will be less and less deceivers. That's what ends up happening. You know, if you steal in America, what happens? They slap you on the hand, right? If you steal in Iran, what happens? They cut off your hand. Okay, guess where there's less theft? You'll never guess. Now, should we do that? Oh, man, sometimes I say yes, but I probably wouldn't have either hand right here. (laughs) Probably not, but man, all I'm saying is that you you guys who are parents and we who are church leaders, we take these things to heart. We realize that this is the way that God purifies his people doesn't matter if it's a prophet. doesn't matter if it's a dreamer. It doesn't matter if it's a close friend or family member. It doesn't even matter if it's a whole bunch of people. 
Because look at what we read next in verse 12. It says, If you hear someone in one of your cities which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of their city, saying let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it and its livestock with the edge of the sword. And you shall gather all its plunder into the middle of the street and completely burn with fire the city and all its plunder. For the Lord your God, it shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand. That the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy, have compassion on you, and multiply you just as he swore to your fathers. Because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments, which I command you today, to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. Now again, we don't have a perfect comparison nowadays. Again, there's not a theocracy but there's some things here that are very, very practical for us. Because what does the Bible say? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And if there's sin in the camp, it will affect the whole church. If there's sin in your house that you're tolerating, that you're not taking out, it will infect your whole family. That's why leaders, when you look at this right here, you've got to take it to heart. I mean, here you have the whole nation of Israel and somehow you heard it through the grace vine that one of these cities is totally corrupt. And so you might say, well, that's just a city over there. You know, it's not a big deal. God says, no, because you need to take care of it. Because if not, he says right there in verse 17, then you will experience the anger of God towards you. You see the way it works? Remember in the book of Joshua chapter 7? When it talks about, you know, the secret sin of uh, Achan, he took some stuff, put it under his tent, thought it was no big deal. And what ended up happening? The next war, they went out against this little town called Ai, and they could not experience victory. Why? Because they didn't deal with the sin in the camp. And God just says, you know what, you guys, this is very serious. It's a war. You know, I've never been in a war. I've never been to Afghanistan or Iraq or Vietnam. Some of you here have. Korea, World War I, World War II. I mean, you know, you, that's war, right? But we're in a war too. It's a war for your soul. It's a war for the soul of your family. And God says you can't be Mr. Nice Guy when it comes to stuff like this. God says you can't let anything come between you and your relationship with him. He says you got to kill it. Or it will kill you. It's so important for us to see this you guys. Again we don't wipe out cities any longer. We're not a theocracy like Israel was. And I say that over and over again. Because I want to make sure it's clear to you guys you know. But we should wipe out sin huh. We should wipe out sin utterly and severely. We need to remove the cancer 
before it's too late. And in looking at this right here, I think it's important for us to take this to heart. You know, in one sense, the first portion of our chapter today had to deal with the religious aspect. Be careful, the books, the preachers, the teachers, the guys on TV and the radio, all that stuff out there. Be careful because there are many wolves in sheep's clothing. Test it according to the scriptures. Not just emotionalism, not just fancy rhetoric, not just good talkers. Is it scriptural? First it's religious and then it's kind of relationship. Is there anyone that we're putting before the Lord? We can't. God says, I'll test you on that. And then the second thing we see right here in one sense, I mean the third thing, is that radical decision. When it's the big things in life, here we see it's a whole city that you have to make a stand against. And I guess I'll kind of close with that whole concept right there, you guys. What's the big decisions that you need to make in your life today? What is the big decision that needs to be weeded out, that needs to be surrendered, that needs to be changed, that needs to be transformed in your life? It's a whole city, but it's a whole city that in one sense will take you down. You know, look what it says right there. It says in verse uh, 14, you shall inquire and search out and ask diligently. And you know, when you take that at face value right there, he's talking about you got to make sure that you don't go and you know, execute a city and, you know, wipe out a city where it wasn't really true. The rumors that you heard, we know that's the face value right there. But when we take this whole thing and we bring it into personal application, I think there is a search that needs to take place. I think there is a deep examination in our heart that needs to, you know, be done in all of our lives. That we need to look at this in face value and we need to look at this a little deeper because in the Old Testament God spoke in pictures God spoke with visuals and what that is now is a New Testament truth in which God speaks many times to individuals the whole thing right here is what the children of Israel on the brink of the promised land the promised land it's where you belong but there's something getting in the way of where you belong. That victorious Christian life of wholeheartedly serving God and experiencing victory. There's something getting in the way. And we need to execute anything that gets in the way. And you search diligently. And you say, okay, Lord, this is where I belong. And now I see, Lord, as I look deep in my heart that this is what's getting in the way. And what do you need to do? You need to kill it. You need to repent. You need to give it to God. Totally, you guys. It could be pride. It could be anything. It'll get in the way. And it'll ruin you. Remember Psalm 139? Verse 23, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The New Living Translation says, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And, and I just pray that God would bless you, that God would speak to you, man. There's big decisions that need to be made. There really is. I mean, the apostles, what did they do? They, they, they left their nets. 
That's a big decision. Matthew, the tax collector, he, he left his net. I mean, there's big decisions that need to be made in our life. There's cities that need to be wiped out. There's prophets, there's dreamers that need to be tested. There are even loved ones that sometimes get in the way. And you can't let that happen. When you stand before God one day, you will stand alone. You and God. You know, that individual that you're sometimes putting on a pedestal, you're putting before the Lord, they're not going to be there. They're not going to be like in between you and the Lord. It'll be you and the Lord. And how was your commitment to him? I know this, man. When I read that chapter right there and I see what sin does and I see how God just wants us to kill it, I really, really take this seriously, man. And I pray that you would too. James says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, whatever you do, don't let that happen to you. As a matter of fact, I think that as we live life as Christians, that every single day, the fire should be stronger. You guys, let's go full bore. Don't let anything, anything hold you back anymore. Father, I thank you so much. Lord, for your word and your love and your grace in our life. I thank you, Father, for allowing us to study your word together. And we, we see, Lord, just basically the temptations that want to turn us away from you. The prophets, the dreamers, sometimes the friend, the family member. Lord, it could be anybody. It could be a whole city, a big thing. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that today you would show us that we would search our hearts. And Lord, that we would go forward as committed followers of Jesus Christ. We know that we're living in a world that's going in the complete opposite direction. And sometimes, Lord, I think we're even in the church, generally speaking, that isn't going in the wrong direction. Lord, help us to see that. Help us, Lord God, to see that that we need to be radical, that we need to be different. I love you, Lord, and I thank you so much and that you would love us enough to even warn us. I pray for your beautiful people that are here today. I pray, Lord, please, I beg of you for the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to fall afresh upon our lives and to make us, Lord, and to break us, Lord, New Testament Christians, Lord. Christians living in the book of Acts. Father, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom in the church. Give us wisdom with our families. Lord, give us wisdom in the ministry. Give us faith. Make us men and women of prayer and the word and fellowship and service. Lord, we just need you tonight. We love you. And I pray, Lord, maybe there's one or two, maybe there's some people here tonight who don't even know you, Lord. Father, you know your people. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here tonight who's not a Christian, God, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would point that out, that they don't really have a relationship with you. And Lord, right now I pray for their salvation. I pray, God, that you would just show 
the steps that need to be taken, Lord. That first of all, they need to realize, Lord, that we're sinners and separated from God. But Lord, that you died on that cross for our sins. And tonight, Lord, I pray that whoever that person is, maybe there's one or two or more here tonight, that tonight they would know that salvation takes place when we turn from our sins and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, make that happen tonight. And I pray, Lord God, if there's anyone here as Christians, maybe they've drifted away, that it's not a 12-step process, Lord. It's a one-step. That tonight, Lord, you can bring the prodigals home. Because that's the kind of God that you are. That's who you are, Lord. Thank you so much. We love you, Lord. We praise you. Together we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.